0: Hello and welcome to Saving Faith. I am Eric Sintel. In this episode, I want to think a little bit about just war theory and how it can help us as Christians to make sense of something like the Israel-Hamas war. Last episode, I talked about how I as a Christian personally try to reconcile Jesus' teaching of nonviolence with not being a pacifist, with being willing to commit violence if necessary to defend my family or my country. Um, And why I think a country or government should have the right to commit violence to defend its citizens as Israel is doing right now. Um, I make sense of that in part because I don't think Jesus was teaching us to be pushovers or to just take it but rather he was trying to say in his context, if you violently resist the Roman Empire, their violence will overwhelm anything you can throw at them, and our situation is going to become far, far worse than what we currently have. He was also, I think, trying, uh, he also said, of course, to love others. And for me, I mean, how could I say I love others if I'm not willing to defend them, particularly if they can't defend themselves? Um, So that's how I personally try to reconcile Jesus' nonviolent teaching with the right to self-defense. Having said that, there is also a robust and long tradition of Christian thinkers and theologians trying to um, create what's called the just war tradition or just war theory. So the idea of just war theory or just war tradition Um, centers around three things. Justice before the war. So you have to have justice or correctness or rightness in going to war. Justice during war. So once you've made the decision to go to war, you have to conduct the war in a just, correct, right way. Um, And then there's also justice after the war. So after the war, how do you conduct yourself? How do you hold yourself or people accountable and responsible for their actions during the war? What kind of peace do you seek to create after the fighting is done? So um, historically, um, just war theory stems from Christianity's fusion with the Roman Empire. For the first couple centuries of Christianity, um, Christianity was very separate from the Roman Empire and really Um, My understanding is that the Christians really didn't like the military, really didn't like the idea of any kind of state-sanctioned violence or force. But then Christianity became the official uh, religion of the Roman Empire. And all of a sudden now the Roman Empire and Christianity are like hand in glove, you know, they're wedded to each other. And now Christians have to figure out a way, well, how do we justify serving in the military? Because when Christians were separate from the Roman Empire and excluded from uh, institutions like the military and the government administration, it was easy. Like, well, we're not in favor of it. So we're not gonna, you know, we we can't do it anyway. It's easy to not be in favor of doing it. But then when Christianity is the official religion of the Roman Empire, so now you're telling people, well, you're Christian and you can't serve in the military. Well, how are we going to defend ourselves from all these barbarian invasions? You know, How are we going to protect our, our lives, our property, our loved ones? And so you can see why Christians in that period started to think, okay, how do we figure out a framework that justifies a Christian serving in the military, fighting in battle, killing other humans, um, how do we justify that from our Christian perspective? So one of the first major thinkers to articulate just war theory was St. Augustine. And so he argued um, that it was just under certain circumstances for a nation to go to war, or even a Christian nation, um, and that certain actions in war were just or moral and correct and right for Christians. But the most of uh, thoroughly developed framework of just war theory actually comes much later from St. Thomas Aquinas in the Medieval Period. So according to the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy, which is a peer-reviewed website, you know, written by experts for experts, but in a little bit more accessible way um, for your average person to read. According to the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy, St. Thomas Aquinas presented the general outline of what became the the traditional just war theory, and he discusses not only the justification of war, why you should or should not go to war, but also the kinds of activity that are permissible for a Christian in war. So just war theory is really focused, as I said earlier, on justice before the war, justice during the war, and justice after the war. and in the 20th century you saw thinkers begin to apply just war theory to america's involvement in vietnam um, the best example of this would be michael Walzer's book just and unjust wars um, i've read quite a bit of that book as well as some passages from his later book uh, war and justice published in 2001 and so what Walzer is doing is he's applying just war theory and tradition to the vietnam war and then later to in his Later book War and Justice to other conflicts as well, and so this is what just war theorists do: is they they have this framework that is grounded in Thomas Aquinas, um, and they also and then they try to apply that framework to particular conflicts as a way of refining the framework and also figuring out is this conflict just or unjust, moral or immoral. So the principles of justice of war or before war are commonly held to be having a just cause, war as a last resort, the war being declared by a proper authority, the war possessing a right intention, the war having a reasonable chance of success, and the means being proportional to the end, being uh, pursued. So those are the, the common principles that by which people evaluate was going to war just or unjust. So first, you know, having a just cause, you know, what is your purpose in going to war? Are you attacking a neighbor to take their territory and their resources? That's an unjust cause. Are you defending yourself against aggression? Most people recognize that as a just cause for war. Is the war a last resort? Um, You know, in the case of Russia attacking Ukraine, obviously for Ukraine, it's a last resort. They don't have a choice but to defend themselves against this aggression. Um, For Israel and Hamas, was going to war with Hamas and invading Gaza a last resort? Personally, I would argue no. I think that the Israeli government could have responded in many different ways to Hamas' attack on their citizens. And going you know, into bombing Gaza and a full ground invasion of Gaza um, was not a last resort. They had not tried other things first and exhausted those options first. Is the war declared by a proper authority? So, you know, is this war being declared by a tyrant um, or a uh, non-representative government, you know, some government that's not elected by the people or accountable to the people? Or is this being declared by um, a king who uh, is widely recognized by his people as having the authority to do this? Or um, a government that's democratically elected and accountable to the people, um, possessing the right intention. So, you know, if you're Russia invading Ukraine to try to take over large portions of their territory, obviously that's not the right intention behind going to war. Um, If you're trying to uh, root out Hamas or Al-Qaeda or the Taliban um, trying to make, you know, your country safer from terrorist attacks, I think that's a right intention. That's a a valid reason to go to war. Um, Having a reasonable chance of success. This gets tricky, doesn't it? (laughs) Um, Because according to just war theory, you can have a just cause. The war could be a last resort for you you could have no other options left Um, you could declare the war with a very proper widely recognized authority and you could have the best intention in fighting the war but if your war does not have a reasonable chance of success then it's not just for a war to be just has to meet all of these criteria so i think the uh, government and nation of Ukraine has a reasonable chance of success against the Russian army. I mean, they have far exceeded far exceeded anyone's expectations, um, and if they continue to get resources and weaponry that they need, uh, I see no reason why they can't continue to be successful in their effort to uh, push Russia's forces out of their territory. Um, and I say that not as an expert, but just as you know, someone who tries to pay attention to the news reporting on it. Um, I am less confident, much less confident, that Israel will be able to actually get rid of Hamas. And if they do actually get rid of Hamas, I mean, what does that mean? Who takes Hamas's place uh, in that power vacuum? Could be better, could be worse than Hamas. So I am really uh, not sure about the chance of success of Israel invading Gaza. And then lastly, um, the means in the end have to match each other. So um, whatever goal that you have for the conflict, you know, for example, um, defeating Russian invaders and driving them out of the territory, um, that has to be proportional to the means that you use. So it wouldn't be proportional for Ukraine to, you know if they had nuclear weapons to drop nuclear bombs on moscow or on cities in russia um, in order to drive these invaders out of their territory that would not be just similarly um i have real concerns or doubts about the justice of you know leveling entire blocks of gaza um in preparation for a full-scale ground invasion of gaza to achieve this goal of uh dismantling hamas um that see, it does seem, if nothing else in the body count, um, we can definitely see that uh, the number of casualties from Israeli airstrikes has already far exceeded the casualties of Israeli citizens killed by Hamas's attack. Um, and things are probably just going to get worse from here. So those are the principles of justice of war or before war. You know, you have to have a just cause. The war should be a last resort it should be declared by a proper authority that possesses a good intention or the right intention, and the war should have a reasonable chance of success, and the way you fight the war should be proportional to the goal that you have in waging the war. But then once you're in the conflict, in the fighting, uh, in the trenches, so to speak, um, justice in war refers to two broad principles of discrimination and proportionality. So the principle of discrimination concerns who are legitimate targets in war, while the principle of proportionality concerns how much force is morally appropriate. And some people will also add a third principle, that's the principle of responsibility. So who bears the responsibility for the actions taken in war? So discrimination is pretty simple, right? You should not attack civilians. You should not attack non-combatants because that is unjust. That's not a just way or a moral way of waging war. So when Hamas attacked Israeli civilians, that was clearly a violation of just war theory in terms of justice in war. Um, They... We're not targeting military. They were not targeting police or security officials or government officials. Um, they were targeting civilians. Um, and that's, you know, it was a terrorist attack, not an act of war in terms of just war theory. Um, similarly, when Israel is bombing Gaza, um, we could argue that that is not following the principle of discrimination because Who are the victims of this? You know, it's not as though um, this bomb is only killing Hamas supporters or only killing uh, Hamas officials um, or fighters. This, you know, a lot of civilians who may or may not have anything to do with Hamas, who may or may not even support or like Hamas, have died in these airstrikes. And, you know, it really seems that the principle of discrimination is super simple and concept. Don't target non-combatants. But it's really, really, really hard to practice um, in modern warfare because we're not, we're not, you know, Roman legions, (laughs) you know, going through a village and, um, you know, and following this principle and not attacking the women and children. You know we have bombs falling and missiles launched and where they land they land and the extent of their explosion is the extent of their explosion um the other and that kind of segues into the principle of proportionality so how much force is morally appropriate you know would it be morally appropriate for ukraine to um you know start launching tactical nuclear missiles at ground forces in Ukraine. Uh, No, it would not. (laughs) That would not be proportional. Um, Similarly, I think we can all agree that Israel's response already, as I record this, um, has been disproportionate to Hamas's attack. Um, The body count in Gaza is far greater than the body count of Hamas's attack. Um, entire buildings just leveled and destroyed, entire blocks destroyed. Um, and it's again, it's only going to get worse from here with a full ground scale full scale ground invasion. And then this begs the question of responsibility. okay So um, you're supposed to discriminate between combatants and non-combatants. You're supposed to be proportional in your use of force. Well then who's responsible for ensuring those things happen and who's responsible when they don't happen? The final principle in just war theory, or framework rather, um, is the justice after the war. So following the end of a war, you know there are three possibilities. Either your army has been defeated, or your army has been victorious, or both armies have agreed to a ceasefire. And the principles of justice can be applied to each of those situations. So the principle of discrimination should be employed, to avoid imposing punishment on innocents or non-combatants. So it wouldn't be fair, for example, for um, Ukraine and Russia to agree to a ceasefire and then uh, Ukraine to punish, you know, innocent non-combatant people who happen to be in the territory held by Russian soldiers because they didn't resist strong enough or something like that. That would be very unjust, and so you have to discriminate between the guilty and the innocent, the combatants and the non-combatants, even after the war ends. Um, Secondly, the rights or traditions of the defeated enemy deserve respect. So, you know, if Israel successfully roots out Hamas, they can't then occupy Gaza and tell everyone living there that they can no longer be Muslim you know that would of course not respect their tradition and their rights so that would also be an unjust um example or an example of un- injustice after the war ends and then also the claims of victory should be proportional to the worst character and what i think that means is that um you know if, Ukraine narrowly pushes out Russia from their territory um, or they agree to a ceasefire that's, you know, on only slightly favorable terms for Ukraine, um, you know, they should not then insist, well, uh, we won and Russia, you owe us, you know, 20 trillion dollars for damages or something like that, because that wouldn't be really proportional to how that war worked out. Um, why is that a matter of justice? Well, I, I mean, I guess just like any sporting contest, you know, if you're uh, fighting it out, um, it just wouldn't be fair for the result to be extremely skewed one way or the other. Um, and that by the, and World War One would probably be the best example of that, where really that was a squeaked out victory for the allies. You know, we just, the allies just barely, barely won World War One. And yet they imposed um, peace terms on the German Empire at the time uh, that were extremely punitive, as though they had just completely you know, obliterated uh, the German army and could you know, dictate whatever terms they wanted. <clears throat> and then also the compensatory claims should be tempered by the principles of discrimination and proportionality. So again, like in World War I, um, some of the compensation demanded by the Allies from Germany really didn't uh, discriminate between who was responsible and and not responsible for the launching of that war. And they certainly weren't proportional to um, the harm inflicted on each side. You know, both sides and the Allies and the Axis, in world war one or the central powers in world war one you know they both suffered greatly and controversially um, there's also the need to rehabilitate or re-educate an aggressor so you know i don't see how you know ukraine could rehabilitate or re-educate russia or how their government could re-educate or rehabilitate the government of russia Um, You know, I think that that would only apply in a case where, um, you know, you, well, like in World War II, when um, the Allies defeated the aggressors, uh, Germany and Japan and Italy, so decisively that they were then able to occupy their countries for a couple decades. And this, I think, is such an important lesson of World War II that we overlook. We spent decades and billions and billions of dollars and time and effort rebuilding and helping the countries rebuild themselves. So I think that's a good illustration of how we had justice after the war in World War II, because in part we were rehabilitating those countries, rebuilding their infrastructure, rebuilding them from the ground up and rebuilding their um, governments, their social structures and uh, in a sense this is a this was kind of a re-education of the aggressor in a sense um, So that's one thing that I'm very interested to see um, how it turns out with Israel and Hamas um, because I think that the Israeli Hamas war is unjust, to the extent that there doesn't seem, to me at least, to be a reasonable chance of success. I just don't see Israel being able to completely destroy Hamas. They might get rid of the government infrastructure of Hamas, they might um, destroy Hamas's ability to launch military or carry on military training or operations, they might do those things. But as an expert in the region Uh, said, whom I just read recently, it's much harder to kill the idea of Hamas, right? Uh, Hamas is both this governing authority and this paramilitary terrorist organization and an idea, a representation, of resistance to what the Palestinians view as aggressive occupation by the Israelis and oppression by the Israelis. So, I just can't imagine how Israel would be able to successfully destroy not just the government and infrastructure and military capabilities of Hamas, but the idea of Hamas. And if they are successful, well then what takes its place? Um, Because it could be worse than Hamas if there isn't justice after the war. So I, w- I really hope and pray that after um, the Israeli Hamas War ends, that the government of Israel, and uh, guided by or pressured by other Western nations like the United States and the European Union, will discriminate between the innocents and the guilty, the non-combatants and the combatants in this conflict. Um, I hope that they will respect the traditions of the Palestinian people in Gaza and elsewhere. Um, I hope that they will, um, make claims of victory that are proportional to the war's character. That they will, um, you know, recognize that, um, they can't just demand anything. Um, that they have to be reasonable and that any kinds of requirements for peace, um, have to be similarly discriminatory between the guilty and the innocent they have to be proportional to um, the uh, needs of israel for its security and but most importantly i to really believe and i really hope israel will spend uh, billions and billions of dollars or the west will spend billions and billions of dollars um, and spend just huge amounts of effort, of human capital, human work and labor not just rebuilding Gaza, but also rebuilding the society and the economy for these people. Um, Because Hamas didn't form just out of a vacuum, and it didn't form just from anti-Semitism. Hamas, and the idea of Hamas that is popular with many Palestinian people, Formed because of anger at Israeli actions toward the Palestinian people, they formed to organize resistance to what they view as occupation and oppression. And so, to me, you know, if you're if you are going to invade Gaza, if you're going to launch this war, um, hopefully it's just in all the before war criteria. It definitely should be as just as possible in the conduct of the war during the war. And most, perhaps most importantly, it has to have some kind of consideration of rehabilitating or re-educating Gaza after the war. Um, And by re-educate, you know, I don't mean that in a paternalistic or you know, talking down to you way but rather in a, you know, we don't have to, you don't have to fight us. You don't have to attack us to get what you want. Like we have to live together in this geography, in this region. Um, and so, you know, we've not been doing very good and uh, very well at it, but let's do better. And we're going to try to help you. We're going to rebuild this and we're going to try to address the circumstances that led to, um, you thinking that attacking us was an act of just resistance to oppression, and without that piece of it, uh, I really fear that we're just going to con- continually see more and more conflict in this region uh, for you know the foreseeable future. So those are uh, some of my thoughts for what they're worth on just the just war theory and how. Christians can apply those ideas to the Israel-Hamas war as well as to war more generally. Um, we have a really robust just war, just war tradition that can be so helpful as we try to make sense of such a complicated, multi-layered, multifaceted conflict and that can help us to be good uh, learners as we try to learn and educate ourselves about it and good conversation partners um you know thoughtfully thinking through just war theory and its applications to this conflict um, are way that's way 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 better than just reposting an angry meme on facebook or other social media if you enjoyed this if you got anything out of this please share it with others please let uh you know share the link on your social media and talk about the importance of just war theory and um tell your friends about it talk about it with them uh, it's the best way to help us grow, except for maybe giving us great reviews and ratings, because that really helps our podcast to appear when people search for podcasts like this one. So thank you, as always, for listening to Saving Faith. God bless.